The COVID-19 pandemic has changed life for all of us. But even before this, we were already fighting an epidemic, the battle against chronic disease. And those with chronic diseases are at highest risk of contracting severe coronavirus infections. So how do we protect ourselves during these uncertain times? But more importantly, how do we view health? Welcome to the Glass Half Healthy Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jonar, a physician board certified in internal medicine and certified in lifestyle medicine. In this podcast, I want to address the current crisis of chronic disease and to challenge the conventional attitude towards health. We will be exploring these issues with thought-provoking guests to help redefine what health should mean for all of us. I hope to inspire you to take action towards a happier, thriving life because good health comes to those who expect it. What is up, everyone? I am your host, Dr. Jonar, and this is my podcast, The Glass Half Healthy. To our loyal fans, thank you for your continued support, and to our first-time listeners, a warm welcome to my podcast, which was recently ranked by Board Vitals in the best 21 medical podcasts to subscribe to in 2021. I'm still really stoked about this, and I know this would not be possible without all you listening out there. So my deepest gratitude and appreciation to each and every one of you, and I hope to continue bringing incredible guest discussions to keep you inspired along your health journey. That said, I am super excited about our next guest, the plant-based addict, Adam Sud. But before we get into that, a word from our sponsor. This episode of The Glass Half Healthy is brought to you by potatoes. Packed with vitamins and minerals like potassium and vitamin C, as well as antioxidants that can help support your immune system, improve your blood sugar, and reduce your risk of heart disease. Just remember that they are spud-tacular. Potatoes, get them wherever fresh produce is sold. Okay, back to the pod. This is our 25th episode and is a continuation on the theme of last episode with addiction specialist, Dr. Erfosa Iruhia. This episode I dedicate to those who have ever struggled with addiction, whether it be to drugs or food, and also to those who continue to struggle with chronic disease. The title of our episode is Positive Change Begins From Within, with an amazing human being, my man, the plant-based addict, Adam Sud. I've known Adam from afar, listening to his story from other podcasts, so I am super honored to have him on the show today and so humbled to now be able to call him my friend. His journey is so extraordinary and speaks to the power of human resilience through addiction recovery, battling chronic disease, and overcoming health obstacles. Adam's story perfectly illustrates that love, specifically self-love, conquers all. In 2012, Adam's life was out of control. He weighed almost 350 pounds and struggling with multiple addictions and serious chronic diseases, he attempted suicide by drug overdose. He checked into rehab and with the help of his parents and a plant-based diet, he began a journey that led him to remarkable recovery. In this two-part series, we first discuss his insight into his early substance abuse and downward spiral of addiction his disconnect from the people he loved, including the disconnect from himself, 
the epiphany from his near suicide experience, his difficult challenges with addiction recovery while facing a slew of chronic diseases, which he'll go into more detail, his starting approach to recovery through the power of plant-based nutrition, the incredible reversal of all of his chronic diseases off all of his medications within the span of one year, finding the deeper meaning to reconnect with your body, your lifestyle, and those you love, and the other resources he leaned on to help him through his recovery process. This is one of the most powerful moving episodes in our show's history, and it's jam-packed with inspiring discussion that I had to split it up into two parts. We have so much to talk about, so let's just enter the pod with Adam Sud. All right, welcome to the pod. So first and foremost, I wanted to just say I've been a big fan of yours for a really long time now. You know, I've, I've listened to you on different podcasts. Rich Roll podcast is actually the first time I listened to you. The Share Zai's podcast, Brain Health and Beyond. And, you know, you're just a very genuine person with a big oh, heart. You. you had so much compassion for yourself and others. And, you know, having overcome all of these obstacles in your life, battling addiction, chronic disease, and then to see where you are right now, helping others who kind of suffered along a similar path, it's just remarkable, inspiring. So I'm honored for you to be here and thanks for being on the show. Oh man, my pleasure. I love having conversations with, with interesting people who share a similar passion and a similar path. So anytime, brother. I love that. So right now, you know, you are a food addiction coach, correct? Mm -hmm. With Mastering yeah. Diabetes, Cyrus Kambadin, Robbie, Barbaro, that, that book, Mastering Diabetes, it's awesome. Love those two. But you know what gave rise to this was where you are now and how you previously lived your life, right? Correct. So let's take it all back to 2012, who, you know, for our listeners that don't know that much about you, take us through that crucial point in time. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because when I look back at the way I was living my life back in 2012, when the, the big sort of shift happened. It's so interesting now, having been removed from that way of living for eight years, that going back to it seems like I'm talking about someone else. And at the same time, I know I'm talking about myself. But <laughs> right. at, at the time, I was, you know, I was incredibly disconnected from those meaningful bonds in life that give us that feeling of being alive in a meaningful way. I was trying to escape both my physical, spiritual, and emotional life through substances like food and drugs on an almost consistent basis. And this stemmed from a long-held belief that I was just unacceptable to the world, to the people that mattered most to me. And I had tried for years to figure it out. It was in constant competition with myself, with my body. I, I viewed my body as an adversary something I had to compete against because it just seemed like for my entire life, I could never get it to be what I thought everyone else wanted it to be so that I could fit in. Hmm. Um, and it just seemed to continuously, I believed it seemed to continuously fail me in life. It was never what I needed it to be. And so substances like opiates and stimulants, they were an unbelievable way in the beginning of being a possible solution to that problem. It seemed to start to make me the person that I needed, I thought I needed to be for everyone else. And that's really important because when we talk about substance abuse, 
we have this idea out there that uh, substance abuse is about uh, a dependency to a chemical hook, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. really what it is, it's about, it's a solution to not wanting to be present in your life because your life has become too painful and too confusing of a place to be. And it was so successful in high school. I remember using substances for the first time. I was just like, bam, I was like, oh, with, with the greatest of ease and unbelievable repeatability, I could become that person that I always thought I needed to be. I could have the confidence. I could lose the weight. I could study, you know, I could be that the student that I thought my dad needed me to be. I could get the scholarship that I thought I, you know, needed to have in order to have the status amongst the family. You know, I thought all of these things were now, not only were they not now possible, it was like, here, man, just take it, it's yours. Just, just use these substances and all will be well. Uh -huh. And the, the typical story presented itself that, you know, with this sort of slight, subtle and imperceptible shift, it became, it went from being the most incredible solution I'd ever found to the most overwhelming problem I'd ever faced. Because like every person who struggles with substance abuse, it slips through their fingers. It right. goes from feeling like you got it to chasing it. Like it's, it's here, it's in my hand, I've got it, it's no problem. This will never be an issue. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's out of your hands and you're just trying to get it back. And my weight reached about 350 pounds because I ended up becoming incredibly depressed and isolated. And mm -hmm. substances like food presented this unbelievable ability to numb myself up. Because at first I was using Adderall as a substance to fix what I thought was broken about me. And Adderall became this amazing way for me to lose weight. Adderall is an amphetamine. That's what the stuff is. Right. And now... Adderall just wasn't even working anymore. I'd use it just to feel normal. And that started back in high school when you- It started back in high school, yeah. Okay. And all of a sudden the weight started to come back on. I could never use enough. More was never enough. Never enough was always my constant concern. Like how much do I have left? How much will it cost? Where will I get more? Right. And so by the time I, was, I dropped out of college, I just sort of gave up on myself. Hmm. I told myself, you know what? This solution that works so well now, not only does it not work, I can't stop using it and using it makes my life painful. So I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to eat whatever I want to numb myself up. I wanted to detach myself from the experience of being connected to my body in a meaningful way because I, I just felt like my body was, a, was against me. Mm -hmm. And on August 21st of 2012, you know, I had been using the average prescription for Adderall is about 10 milligrams per day. Mm -hmm. And at the, that time I was using about 450 milligrams in a 24 hour period. Whoa. And I would, I would be up for about six days straight without sleeping. I was consistently putting myself into a drug induced psychosis. I was eating about 5,000 calories of fast food a day. I was doing anything and everything I could so that I could just not be present in my life because I had become so greatly disconnected from everything that ever meant anything to me. And being that disconnected made me feel unworthy of getting it back. And I would do these things. I would self-harm. I would, you know, say horrible things to myself in order to try to hate my life enough, try to help hate myself enough to want to be able to change it. And unfortunately, that sort of perspective only views you, allows you to view yourself by what is what you think is wrong with you. And it got to a point where everything that I thought was wrong and broken about myself was the worst that it had ever been. And I knew tomorrow would be worse. And I couldn't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I didn't have a plan. It wasn't something that I had, like, I didn't write a note. I didn't do any of the things that you hear about. But on August 21st of 2012, I tried to end my life by overdose. And I can remember, you know, uh, I, 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 look, there was, there was no, it, it was, it was no question. I was using an incredible amount of substances at, at incredibly high doses. So I'd been on the verge of overdose several times. And I can remember how distinctly different this felt. I can remember trying to stand up and my entire right side cramping. And then it just seemed like the universe was asking that I no longer be a part of it. And everything went black. I woke up hours later on the floor of my apartment in a puddle of vomit and a pile of fast food garbage surrounded by empty pill bottles, completely alone. And I experienced this unbelievable feeling of relief. And I found that to be really confusing at first because here I thought what I was trying to do was end my life. But that relief that I felt could only be there because there had to have been something about myself and my life that I loved enough. Something about myself and my life that was meaningful enough that even though I knew today was going to be equally as hard as, as every day before, maybe even harder, I still wanted to be a part of this world. I still wanted one more day of life. And that's when I decided to call my parents and ask for help. Um, I checked into rehab where I was diagnosed with type two diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, erectile dysfunction, bipolar disorder, suicidal depression, anxiety disorder, sleep disorder, attention deficit disorder, and obsessive compulsive personality disorder. And I was put on a cabinet's worth of medication for life. How old were you at this time? I was 30. I was 30, 30. years old at this time. Yeah. And, um, I can remember being in the doctor's office and, you know, I was, again, I was like this for like 15 years. I was just like a walking cliche. You know, I, I literally went into the doors of rehab thinking I was going to do 28 days, come back and like have my using under control. Like I, I was that person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It became so apparently clear that sobriety in and of itself was not going to be enough to save my life. I mean, my blood pressure was like 210 over a hundred and something. My resting heart rate was 120 they were so concerned about my health. They were so worried that every morning and night I had to have my vitals checked because they were so afraid something was going to happen to me. I, I remember I couldn't go to breakfast until I had my vitals checked and I couldn't go to bed until I had my vitals checked every day. And there are these sober living facilities that you were staying at. This was in the actual rehab hospital. That was in the rehab hospital. Yeah. Okay. And, okay. you know, I, I listened to this doctor explain with extreme concern the current state of my health. Mm -hmm. And I also heard him define me by my health situation. I am mm -hmm. diabetic. Mm -hmm. I am depressed. I am, you know, uh, suicidal. I am all of these things. I am obese. And I can remember thinking, he's telling me that I'm, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to be for the rest of my life. And at that very moment, I remember I was, it was almost as if I was transported back about a year before that when I had the opportunity to hear a man named Rip Esselstyn give a presentation along with people like Dr. Michael Clapper and Jeff Novick and Doug Lyle and Chef AJ and Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn. And I remember them telling me something completely different at that event. What they had said essentially was that the reason I had found myself in this situation wasn't because I was broken, wasn't because there was anything wrong with me. In fact, it was a reasonable response. 
a predictable response to the environment that I've been living in and the choices I've been making, I was completely fine. In terms of who I am and how my body responds to the world, this wasn't like a, a you know, a poor hand, like I wasn't dealt a poor genetic hand. Mm -hmm. I had created an unhealthy environment in which I lived in and I didn't know any better. You know, they always right. say it may not be your fault, but it's your responsibility. Right. That's the way I decided to look at it. It's like, you know what? Maybe I didn't have the tools to deal with the emotional stuff that I needed. And this is the best that I could do. I didn't know any other way to do it. So I said, you know what? I'm going to believe these individuals, uh, the people from the, from Rip's Plant Strong event. Mm -hmm. I'm going to accept their version of truth. And I'm going to make that the backbone of my recovery. I told myself, I don't understand sobriety, quote unquote. I don't understand recovery, quote unquote. But I can, I, I can get my hands around nutrition. I can see how A plus B equals C in this equation. Mm -hmm. and so let me commit myself to eating an entirely plant-based diet for the next, at the time I, I said this was like 72 hours in rehab. I was like, for the next 30 days, I'm going to do it. Unfortunately, uh -huh. the rehab facility was not about to allow a diabetic with an A1C of 12 to eat carbohydrates, unfortunately. <laughs> right, right. But when I moved out of uh, the rehab hospital, I went into a sober living facility. And it was in this facility where I was actually allowed to decide what I wanted to eat for myself. And I went up to the house manager, who, by the way, his last name was Hamburger, and asked... <laughs> That can't be real. No, it's 100% real. It's 100% real. Oh and I asked goodness. him if he would get me the first, you know, my first groceries of plants. So I, I love telling people that my plant-based journey started with a hamburger. And <laughs> I can remember telling myself, all right, look, I don't know what I'm doing. I've got this book. I don't even really know how to follow it. I'm just going to pick four or five foods that I know I like. Mm -hmm. Which book was it, by the way? It was the Engine 2 Diet. Engine 2 Diet. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to follow the plan. There were so, so many recipes. I didn't know how to put it together. And it made me frustrated to think about making recipes. So I said, you know what? I, I know what foods I like. I like oats. I like beans. I like certain vegetables. And I love fruit. Okay. Let me eat those foods for seven days consecutively. And let me see how I feel. Not how, not what happens with my weight, not what happens with my blood glucose. Although I did have to check my blood glucose every day. Right. Let me just see how I feel. Let me, let me see what happens. And I don't know when the shift occurred, but I would get up every day and I'd be really frustrated and I'd be angry that I had to do this because again, I, I was focusing on being in, in competition with my body, but I had this realization. What if my body has never given up on me? What if even though I put my, did everything, food, drugs, and harmed my health to an extreme degree, and yet I'm still here, I'm still alive because my body is my partner. What if my body has been fighting for me and waiting for the opportunity for me to listen to what it's saying and give it what it needs? And I decided that that's what I was going to do. I was going to say every time I ate, it was not to try and outcompete my weight. It was try to serve my body as a partnership a loving act of nurturing this vessel that wants so desperately for me to thrive. What if it was an act of self-care and self-love for a body that has never stopped fighting for me since the day I was born? Hmm. And when I decided to do that, all of a sudden this relationship occurred where food became a vehicle not to move away from what I hated about myself, but continue to move towards what I wanted most in my life.
And as a result of doing that, I ended up, and I don't recommend it. I don't say people have to do this, but I did end up eating just those foods for 10 months. Uh-huh. But as a result of doing that, within four months, the diabetes was completely reversed. The heart disease was completely reversed. The erectile dysfunction was completely reversed. Within 10 months, I'd lost over 100 pounds. And within one year, I was off of every single medication I was put on in rehab. The antidepressants, the mood stabilizers, the sleeping medications, the anxiety medications, and the ADHD medications. I checked into rehab the sickest I had ever been. And within one year, I was the, I was the healthiest I'd ever felt in my entire life. Not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, I had developed this unbelievable love and respect and admiration for my body. I like to tell people, if ever there is an opportunity for you to prove to yourself how not broken you are, it's a plant-based diet. Hmm. If anything can show you how resilient and how much your body cares for you, feed it plants and watch what happens. It's been the greatest lesson in my life. I tell people it's the vehicle that reconnected me back to not becoming a new version of myself, but it helped me remember the person I'd always been. Right. That's what, that's what this whole journey has been about. I mean, it's just unbelievable journey you've had. And, you know, as a hospitalist, I care for very sick patients, right? Mm -hmm. So we see a lot of substance abuse issues through, you know, the, the past you know, several years I've been working at my hospital here in the LA area. And I would say you're probably one of the few out of many of these patients that, you know, that I see take care of and get them back to better health in the hospital and they end up right back. Right. So what would you say are the differentiating factors like in yourself versus those others? Like what in your mind are kind of the keys to get you, you know, back on track in in recovery so that, that's a great question because people like to say oh it's all about the equation of habit change right we we, we can read books by people like james clear phenomenal book atomic right. habits atomic highly habits. recommend it highly recommend it and he'll say that habits are simply a function of personality plus environment right you mm-hmm. take a person you add an environment and the habits have to follow in relation to whatever environment they're in you create an unhealthy food environment they will become unhealthy you create a healthy food environment, they will become healthy. They have the healthy choice becomes the easy choice. That's in reference to Dan Buettner's blue zones. Right. But what I think is the missing part of that equation that creates sustainability is meaning. Hmm. Human beings have this unbelievable need to bond. We want a meaningful and loving bond with ourselves, both physically and emotionally, that we want to show up and be present for. We have a need to have a meaningful bond with other people that we share value with that we want to show up and be present for. We have a need to have a meaningful bond with a purpose beyond ourselves that we want to show up and be present for. We have a need for a meaningful bond and connection with the natural world and a connection to a future that makes sense to us in a meaningful way that we want to show up and be present for every single day. The reason why some people's habit change, I don't want to say fails, but why they end up letting go of them is because they're focused on results rather than connecting them to those meaningful bonds of life. How does your new habits fuel your ability to reconnect to those bonds in life that give us the experience of being alive in a meaningful way? I think that that's like, there's a subtle message to that in Dan Buettner's Blue Zones. Because within the Blue Zones, every one of the habits 
that exists within those cultures reinforces the idea that they're they're in it together. Mm-hmm. They're in it for right. each other as right. much as they it's are community. for themselves. It's community. It's, yeah. It's something greater that adds to the value of the meaningful experience of being alive with yourself and the people that matter most to you and the purpose that matters most to you. Every habit reinforces that valuable experience in life. Yes, it's great. If I was to take you, for example, if let's just say you were a person who ate, a, let's just say a standard American diet. I used to, and I, yeah. And I take you to my place and you know, I say, all right, you're just gonna eat whatever's in my kitchen. You will then become a healthy eater. You have no choice. Right. But why would you care about it? Why would it yeah. matter to you? Yeah. Unless you were saying, how does this enhance the things in my life that mean the most to me? Right. If you think about it like, running a race okay some people say that the point of running a race is to get to the finish line okay so they're focused on the finish line the whole time now if you're focused on the finish line here's the thing at the beginning of the race not only can you not see it you actually never need to see it to get there those individuals who focus on the path that they're on their pace their step and their breath and why running means so much to them not only do they finish the race they fall in love with running and then they run for the rest of their life. If you do the same thing with plant-based nutrition, you focus on where you are. Don't try to define the rest of the road. It's irrelevant. In fact, it's ridiculous to assume that you can even see what the rest of your future looks like. Just allow it to present itself as you continue down the road. Fall in love with the act of serving yourself and your life with healing foods that feel good to you. See what they add, the value that it allows you to bring into your life. And I promise you, you're going to fall in love with the behaviors that serve the meaningful experience of living. And when that happens, the rest takes care of itself. I think, mm-hmm. that's that, I think that is the missing part of the equation. We're, we're part of a culture that says, if it doesn't bring you the results in a certain amount of time, like lose 30 pounds in 30 days, then it, it just isn't your diet. Right. And in what world is a diet ever the results of diet ever one size fits all in a timeline? Sure. Right? Everybody sure. who eats a plant-based diet to some degree will see the typical results, but we can't put a timeline on it for everyone. Some people right. it's three weeks, some people it's a, a year, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Everyone's different, but you know, there's so many just beautiful things that you stated, you know, about that whole, you know, in my opinion, mindset shift is that like, you know, the way you were previously living and, you know, you talked about it when you were in the rehab and and also the sober living, like having that mindset shift of, you know, you wanting to have this, this good relationship with your body, putting in stuff that's going to nurture it Mm -hmm. and also nourish it. Right. And, and, you know, they did talk about it briefly in Blue Zones, that whole concept of Ikigai with the right. Okinawans, like having this, you know, higher purpose in life. I mean, I think that really does drive those habits. Yes. And so, I mean, you know, with that book, you know, Atomic Habits, I love that book, by the way. So but good. I think I, it's so good. But I think you are right. The, the key is that why, like, you know, what what is your purpose in life? Yeah. And I agree with you. You know, I think it is the connections and the love that you have, not with just yourself, but with other people. That's what makes life meaningful. Yes. You, you know? the other people and the value that you share with them. Because You're there's right. a, there's an amazing quote from a man named Johan Hari, who wrote a book called Lost Connections, which I cannot recommend this book any higher. If I could, believe me, I would. Mm-hmm. And what he says is that loneliness is not the physical absence of people. It's the sense that you have nothing of value to share with anyone that matters to you. 
Mm, I love that. And so when we think about connection, we have to think about not just what we do, but the value that we share. He says the answer to loneliness is to be in it together with other people, right? To make sure that it's not just about you, that you're in it together. And it, quote unquote, can be anything that you sh- that you and one other person or a group of people share meaningful value and connection to. It has to be meaningful to you and others, and you both have to see it. That's what creates that absence of loneliness. That's what creates that sense of connection, purpose, meaning, and you know, experience of being alive. That's uh, that's so fantastically put. And, and so, just kind of going back to those early stages of recovery, mm-hmm. what resources did you lean on during those stages to kind of you know keep the momentum going? And yeah. I know you already you just mentioned the plant based nutrition. I think that's. Sure. That's huge, but like what other things? Yeah, one thing I'll tell people is, is I like to say it like this, when someone says, wow, so plant-based nutrition got you sober, I'll say no. Lots of things got me in recovery. And I'm not, I don't consider myself to be, I don't like to use the word sober because sober just refer, like it, it's a statement of abstinence, not of, of you know, discovery. Like action, yeah. Yeah, so I say recovery, but a lot of things were part of it. Plant-based nutrition didn't get me didn't keep me in recovery. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the solution. Mm-hmm. But the solution for me doesn't exist without it. I had in a lot of other things. I had unbelievable therapy. I had incredible counselors. I had amazing friends and I had a family that was willing to welcome me home with open arms. Mm-hmm. It's easy to listen to me tell this story and think like, oh, he was a, he was a, a lone man on a journey of discovery and he did it by himself. And that is a huge misconception if that's what you take away from this. I was not alone trying to figure this out. I was myself surrounded by incredible loving support and hope by people so that on that journey, whenever I fell, somebody picked me up mm-hmm. every single time. And I made sure to cult- help and try and cultivate that for myself. Whenever possible, if I was questioning, not knowing what to do, whether it was the right or the wrong decision, I didn't allow myself to feel uncomfortable about asking for help anymore. You know, I, my good friend, David Clark, who unfortunately we lost last year in January as a result of back surgery, he developed a rhabdo and didn't make it. Um, Sorry to hear that. Uh, he was an amazing person in the plant-based movement. He was, an, he was a 320 pound alcoholic turned plant-based ultra runner, one of the best ever. Um, and he used to talk about his journey and he used to say it like this. And if I'm I understand this so greatly. He said, you know, I was the, I was that person that when someone said to you, don't you see what you're doing yourself? Don't you see what it's costing you? And I'd say, yeah, well, you know, this is how I want to live my life. And if it costs me five years, I'm fine with it. I'm okay with that exchange. He'd say, you know what? That's a shit bargain. Five years. We, and we all know this person and maybe we've done it ourselves. I mean, we throw these numbers out there like they're nothing five years really i think about if i had been successful when i tried to end my life you know god what my family wouldn't do for five five years with me five days would be huge five minutes god i would probably give my entire life savings away if i lost someone that mattered that much to me and i could see them for five more minutes he says the things that we choose to believe about ourselves have consequences 
not just on us, but on the people that matter most to us. And if you think that eating healthy is a sacrifice, please reconsider that thought. Where does it come from? What is valuable to you? What is meaningful to you? Because I know that everybody, if you sit down and you consider the cost of five years, it's so not worth it. And don't think about doing it on your own. Reach out to those people. And if you know someone who's struggling, if you are a friend of somebody who's struggling with substance abuse or with food, if you are a friend of a, a father or a mother or a brother or a sister or a relative of someone who's struggling and you're watching it happen, you don't need to have answers. More than answers, people who are struggling just want to know they've not been forgotten by the world and by the people that matter most to them. I want you to call them. I want you to text them. I want you to send them an email and just say to that person, I love you, whether you're using or you're not. I love you, whatever state you're in. And if you ever need me, I will come and sit with you because I don't want you to be alone or feel alone. If you do that, you give this person the opportunity to feel seen and heard. You can be that voice of love for someone who can't love themselves. You can be the arms that will wrap around them when they can no longer hug themselves. You can be shoulders for them that will carry the weight of their world because believe me, I know that their, their world feels like it's a very heavy place. When you do that, they may decide to ask you to stay. It's, it's the greatest gift you can do for these people is just show them that you're there and you see them. That's just, it's so beautifully put. And I couldn't agree more. I think that a lot of people struggling out there, that's kind of the one big thing that's missing. They end up isolating themselves, right? And that's kind of what ended up happening to you through your mm -hmm. journey. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, they're, you know, they're suffering and they, yeah. they need the support of others. And that's why community really is just it's so crucial in all these things that we've talked about. I mean, even going back to the Blue Zones book, right? I mean, community is huge. So, yeah, I mean, I, I encourage people to do the same and, you know, follow those those words of wisdom by Adam, because, you know, if you see a loved one or even a friend that's suffering, all they want is just to feel recognized, to feel like they have someone in their life. They want to they want to remember that they matter to somebody. Right. Right. And so, you know, I think just, you know, my my heart goes out to you for your your loss, man. I mean, I that, that, that is it's so tough. You know, I I've dealt with much loss in my life. You know, I lost my dad when I was, uh, you know, in my early 20s and my mom recently before COVID hit. Hmm. So I, I, I know what it means to, to grieve. But I mean, I that's why I just this your story and the the story of your friend i mean i think that people can learn from this mm -hmm. you know and if it's not them you know maybe it is their family member or friend and you, you know you play such a huge part in their their process to recovery and yes you know they you can't forget that you know absolutely and so we're, like i said before we're all in this together exactly yeah all have to be a part of it all right most definitely So how was this one for you? And how absolutely amazing of a human being is Adam Sud? 
We have so much more to cover in part two, but please reach out to Adam and me to let us know how this episode was for you on our social platforms, which you can find the links to in our show notes. And I'm always interested in improving this show. So email me at drjonar at gmail.com if you have any suggestions on topics you want to hear or how we can make the show better or to just let me know how a specific episode or guest helped inspire you. I look forward to hearing from you. So grateful to Adam for being on the show and as always, so grateful for you tuning in. So if you like what you heard, please subscribe, like, and review my podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with your family, friends, and online because sharing is caring. Thanks again to the wonderful and smart Amelia Liu, my intern, to Jacob Ferrer for production help, and to Stock Sounds for the music. And lastly, to you. Thank you again for listening. Stay tuned for part two of my talk with Adam. Remember, your state of health starts with your state of mind. So till next time, enjoy the process, my friends. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice, so please talk to your primary physician for that. In addition, the views and opinions expressed by me are my own and not that of my former, current, or future employer. This also applies to my guests. Finally, we do our best to make every effort to relay correct information. We do not guarantee its accuracy. Thank you for listening.